Hey Lifekin, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries. So glad that you're with us today. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a brand new listener, uh, be sure to like, subscribe, follow all that so you can get the podcast we put out and, and hear more from us. Either way, I just want to remind you, like I do every week, that God is up to so much in this community. He truly is on the move. And if you want to be a part of that, uh, one of the best ways you can do that is by financially giving to the mission of this church. So head over to our lifechurchcanton.org forward slash give page to be a part of that. Uh, But returning listener or new listener, you're in for a treat today. We have another table talk for you today. I I know it it feels like we just did one because we did, Uh, but we have another one for you today. This is a talk between uh, myself uh, and Pastor Jared and Pastor Nathan about the image of God or the Imago Dei. That's actually the theme of the whole series we're going into, but we're kicking it off with a table talk about what that is and some of the ways that it should affect uh, who we are. So uh, you have that. We also have a Bridget Reynolds, uh, who is our uh, vision system director uh, on our staff, uh, prayed over the women and the mothers in our congregation on, on Sunday, and it was so powerful um, and such a great prayer. So I've included that for you to hear too. So give both of those a listen. Uh, they're awesome, and I can't wait for you to hear them. So I'll, I'll catch up with you in just a minute. I bless God. And thank God for everyone who is under the sound of my voice. I pray that no matter where they are on the spectrum of thoughts and emotions today, that you will comfort those who need comforting, strengthen those who need edifying, give wisdom to those who need your loving hand of guidance and protection. I lift up the women who are in our midst today. It is my prayer that we will find joy in the journey, peace in the valley, and that we will praise you through the process. That we may learn to find contentment where we are in our fulfillment and hope within you, Lord. Whether a woman finds herself full of child or child-free, Lord, help remind them that they matter to you, that they have value, and they are loved by you, that you have given them hope and a future. May the dreams that they have had that lies dormant because of the sacrifices they have made be either resurrected or recycled. But at the end of the day, help them root and ground their purpose and identity in you, Lord. Lavish your love on them today and for the rest of their days. Lastly, I pray that as we rear this next generation, that we will not be weary in well-doing. Give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom, and the fortitude to look more like you each day so that the young people under our care will be able to see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. And may our godly example give our children a firm spiritual foundation so they will, without reservation, choose to build their life on you and your love only. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Nathan, and we're going to continue that worship right into our discussion today 
one of the pastors here. And if you're new, uh, are you just checking us out? Uh, I'm so glad that you are here. I think God's going to uh, share something important with you. Fill out a connect card. Let us know so that we can join you on that journey. Now, for some of us who've been around the last couple months, you say, hey, you see the three seats out? You're like, oh, what are we talking about today? And uh, we're talking about another position paper that we have released, and we're starting a brand new series called The Imago Day, which is Latin, and it means the image of God. We're talking about identity and the idea that each of us have been made in the image of God, and it's going to have a massive impact uh, in the future. We write position papers for a specific reason. We do it to talk about hot-button topics, things that are coming up. And for us, we want to dive into some things that are difficult to talk about, uh, things about sexual identity and singleness and marriage. And we wanted to make sure that we set up a really good foundation for what we're talking about when we talk about those things. Identity plays probably one of the most important roles in our society uh, today, and many of us have many conversations about identity every single day. So we wanted to make sure that when we write position papers, which are created by us, the staff, and then uh, our leadership team looks over them, and then we present them to you, that we're being clear with what we mean. You know, when I, when I talk to you about politics or racial justice or sexuality, we are talking into a world of dialogue where each one of us comes to the table with a different kind of view. So we wanted to invite you to the table, as it were. Imagine a table and you're sitting in the seat across from us to discuss what we mean when we say the image of God, when we say identity. So this paper will live on, and it'll be something that helps guide us in our hiring, guide us and, and hold us accountable in our preaching, and so that you know when they say identity or X or Y or Z, you know from what basis we're standing on. I believe that God's going to say something to you today through this, and in this one is, is very exciting because I think it's, it's something that we can reclaim, something that we can live into, and that God has something for you today that's hopeful and exciting, and, and I find myself, every time we talk through this, being more and more encouraged by what we have in Jesus Christ, who He says we are, and what we get to do because of it. So I invite you, as we are about to read this paper, which is online, if you uh, want to go find it, you can, or just listen, uh, to reflect and let God speak to you so that you can encounter Jesus, no matter why you came today. Maybe you came because you're here because your mom wants you at church today. Uh, (laughs) That might be the case. And you know what? Thank God for moms again, because I think that it isn't a mistake that you're sitting here listening to this. So this is going to be a dialogue and an interaction, and I'm grateful that you're here. So we're going to read it uh, right now and pause just in between paragraphs to let it soak in. It's only one page here. Identity, the Imago Day. Our culture, it's filled with individuals who look to a variety of sources to find their sense of belonging and express who they feel they truly are, their truth. However, feelings are fleeting, and therefore one's personal truth is unreliable. We know humanity was created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The world, uh, I'm sorry, the Imago Dei in humanity is a declaration of who we are and whose we are and gives us a glorious task in the world. However, since the beginning, that image has become and continues to be distorted and desecrated by the adversary of God. Scripture tells us there is an adversary referred to as Satan, 
that seeks to destroy everything that God created, including our identity. Therefore, we are born trying to find our true self in idols. And idols are anything that gives us an identity in place of God. This creates a false self that cannot be the truth and will fail us over and over again. So how do we begin to rediscover the true self? Life can will reclaim our identity in Jesus individually and collectively. In Genesis 3.8, we are convinced to adopt a lie instead of true belonging with God, but it only resulted in shameful hiding from God. In Jesus, we discover truth and no longer have to hide. Through God's grace in Christ and by his sacrificial death motivated by love, our false self is put to death. Through his resurrection, we reclaim our true self and are given an eternal hope of new life. No matter what the adversary tells us we are, our truth is rooted in Christ. Without Jesus, all of us will continue to live a lie and never discover who we were always meant to be more like Jesus. Reclaiming our identity is recognizing that humanity is uniquely different from the rest of creation. God designed the intricate parts of who we are with purpose, to receive love and to give love by calling out the true self in others. However, there is an ongoing warfare within us, and so we don't always live into the truth. We are easily led astray by idols that cause us to become complicit in the distortion and desecration of the Imago Dei in ourselves and in others. Therefore, God's Spirit is given to us in Christ out of God's great love for us to continue to reclaim our identity in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, and convict us when we are tempted to return to the idols of our false self. The Holy Spirit will redirect us back to Jesus to remind us of our status as children of God, and to experience freedom in the true self. The Spirit will also give us eyes to see the Imago Dei in others and to help them to reclaim who they were created to be. Like we did a couple weeks ago, if you were here or watching online, listening to our table talk on racial justice, is we asked to sort of take the temperature, take your own evaluation. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What sort of one feeling or thought that comes to your mind? Maybe you might even be wondering the question, well, why is identity a hot topic? Why are we talking about that? Uh, hopefully that will be revealed a little bit more in our conversation. I think a lot of it has to do with feelings being fleeting and us trying to find our truth. Uh, you probably heard those phrases before. We're going to get more into that, but also I want to recognize uh, that Roger is here on stage. He's here for a reason. Uh, he is our youth director and works with young adults as well. Uh, but actually, they are going through the same conversation, the same Imago Day conversation with the young people um, as we do this in our Sunday series as well. So that's a big part of why he's here. But I want to turn to you because you work with youth. Uh, I, I worked for, uh, with youth for 10 years, and identity was something mm. that you couldn't talk about enough. Yeah. Um, I want to ask us three questions, similar to what we did a couple weeks ago. Where are we at now? How did we get here? And what's the way forward? In your perspective, in yeah. working with youth, uh, and just in general, where are we at now in regard to identity? Yeah, I think uh, when you get youth pastors and youth workers uh, at a table and we start discussing what are the things we're struggling with, what are the issues we see, 
right now we talk so much about what happens to seniors as they transition into college because we see statistically they're just they're falling away in droves. And the, and the more I look at that problem and the more I think about it and the more I go to the word to figure out like what is what is going on? Why is this happening? The more I'm convinced it's because we have not given them a firm foundation in who they are. And I would also say for us to even and this is a lot of the work I've been doing, you know, since I got here, for us to even look at that problem in when they transition to college is problematic because that is reactionary. But when you talk to students, even middle schoolers, I'll talk to sixth graders, and they're already forming these unhealthy views of themselves and who they think they are and what they think they're capable of. So for us to even get to, like, wait till they get to college and say, like, what's the problem here? Like, we missed it. So a lot of my work has been, um, how do we talk to students about identity now? And not just talk to them, but how do we make that the core of what we're doing with them? And a lot of that has been uh, infusing the life journey into what we do because that process is so important to understanding that. Uh, so what is happening is in students is we have not given them a firm foundation of who they are. So what happens? They meet crisis. Right? Think about when you went, if you went to college, think about what happened when you got there, right? You went from being a student who lived in your, in your parents' home whose top concern was grades and, and what you were doing after school to college where everything changes. Nothing is the same. You're, you're, you're older, you have new responsibilities, you, you're given this freedom and you don't know what to do. So everything changes and you hit a crisis. And because we have not done a good job of, of establishing your foundation of who you are on the Imago Day, it crumples. Yeah. Your identity crumples. And this happens to adults, right? Think about, um, and I think this has happened a lot in the pandemic. Um, you lose a job. In our culture, first thing we ask each other, what do you do for a living? It's the core of who we are. So you lose that, same thing. Who am I without that? My identity crumples. I'm in crisis. Yeah. And because you have not established your identity on God, on the Imago Dei, you don't have a firm foundation. So I, I think that's what's happening, um, not just in students, but I, I would argue in adults too. Right. And you talk about sort of the thing behind the thing mm. that you're noticing as well. It's not just what we see on the surface, but there's something beneath the surface. Talk to me more about that. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. We all understand there's unwritten rules. High school is yeah. like unwritten rule city. Like it's, <laughs> it is rules that just people make up on the fly. And like it, it is a mess. And we think we get over that when we come out of high school, but we don't. We have all of these rules of whether you're in or you're out. It's a concept that I call the bonded set. And what that means is that there is a rectangle, if you want to imagine that. And if you're inside the rectangle, you feel safe and secure and you know who you are. But if you're outside, well, you're outside and you're not one of us and you can't come here and you shouldn't be coming to the restaurants in our community and, and X, Y, and Z. But we do this all over the place. Like these unwritten rules, kind of like how you know that if you walk into an elevator and face the back of the elevator you're a, a creep. You're a weirdo. <laughs> Something is fundamentally wrong with the core of who you are, right? Like, no, that, that's not true. It's a joke. <laughs> but, but obviously, we have these rules, and they look completely different. They're like, hey, you got to live in Canton if you want to be part of this class of people. And if you're in this class of people, you can feel secure and safe. If you li- and, and then it gets into the point where, like, you have to live in this neighborhood in Canton if you really want to do it and then have the better schools and all this stuff. We have all these unwritten rules, um, but we do it in church too. Some ones that are funny that I grew up with, um, it was kind of a culture war back then, was, hey, if you go to church, you wear khaki, khakis or, or, or dresses. So you're, if you wear that, you're in. If you wear jeans and sneakers, you're out. So we all out. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it goes on to like, you can't read Harry Potter. 
But Lord of the Rings is totally fine. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You laugh because you understand that this. Yeah. I think the one that's the easiest for us and the one that we do a pretty good job of is like sports, right? I just mm. made fun of someone because said, they said go green and so it's a go blue and I'm like, you know, like, we know. We have all these rules. Well, we talk about the funny ones, but there are real ones too. And this is why identity touches on racial justice. It touches on classism, the poor, those who are different than us. You name it. I mean, it's just across the board. We have created this little box that I'm inside of this box. And this box makes me feel safe and have an understanding yeah. of who I am. So don't threaten the box. Yeah. And we'll do anything yeah. to restore that. Yeah. Now, the problem is that's not who we are in Christ. Mm. So what the truth is, the centered set. And what we strive toward is all we are is Jesus. So we're moving towards the cross. We're moving towards him, constantly fixing our eyes on what Jesus has done. So instead of it becoming about what we have achieved or done, it's about what Jesus has achieved and done. And that becomes core to who we are. So that's what's happening right now. Yeah, Yeah. you can clap. Like We're in a war to choose between the bonded and the centered set every day. Yeah, yeah. And I think the temptation could be to have us sit up here and diagnose all of the world's problems out there in the secular mm-hmm. world. The problem is, is that's a waste of time. But secondarily, what has gone on in the secular world has infiltrated the church. Absolutely. And has projected itself onto the church. And so we're dealing with all of the same kinds of problems as well. Yet our call is to be countercultural. And so I think that's, that's where we struggle a little bit is... The church has found a way yeah. to adopt that sort of American dream lifestyle. Co-opted. Or, or co-opted. Yeah. yeah, that's even a better word. And to, to adopt these same kinds of ideas, consumerism, uh, achievement. Yeah. I, uh, I worked at a church with a very large youth group, and it was so fascinating to see how this played out in young people. There was this one kid, you know, grades were, were they had to be the best. Um, hockey was everything. And he talked about this with his parents. And then he got a massive injury and was told, you're never going to play hockey again. He crumbled. This 17-year-old kid crumbled. He's like, I have no idea what the rest of my life looks like now. As a 17-year-old. And he, he already has so much shame. And he was part of our youth group. Um, but we realized, like, whoa, we've got to continue to talk about your identity. It is not anything about your achievement. Not anything about what you do or don't do but about something deeper. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think that's, that's the biggest part. I think the other thing that's important to mention, too, is even as you look on this stage, right. these are very three uh, uh, not unique perspectives. We are our perspective, um, not diverse perspectives. And so I wanted to make sure to identify what are some other experiences. I asked um, some people of color, some women, some people that grew up um, in a different uh, nation altogether, somebody who grew up in India, um, what what did you find your identity in as well? Because I think that's important to recognize, like, is our perspective just one? And here's what some of the feedback was um, from somebody. They said they identified with popularity, style, appearance, and money. Uh, and then as they grew into their 20s, they would say their relationship status, who they were in a relationship yeah. with, their career, their education, and their lifestyle, where you lived, your type of uh, car that you owned, the clothes that you owned. Um, somebody I asked, he grew up in New York City. And I asked him, what did you find your identity in? And he said, from the city. Mm -hmm. Like, interesting. 
just yeah. simply by being from New York was part of your identity. I'm from New York, you know? Like, yeah. like that's, that's who you are. That, yeah. but we, terrible. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Iowa. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not, not oh, from... Oh, we know. Yeah, we know. well, okay. So but we, we do that, we do that here. We do that here, though, just thinking about that. Right, right. Like, we... I mean, I don't know if you guys have encountered this yet, but you'll, you'll catch people from Michigan and other states, and they'll live in, like, Howell, like Troy, and you'll hear someone ask, where are you from? And they'll be like, Detroit. And it's like, but you're like two hours from Detroit. What are you talking about? But it's because of this problem. <laughs> it's because yeah. of identifying right. by our city. But yeah. I, thought, I thought that that was interesting, you know, having grown up in a small town. Like, you would never want to tell people where you were from because everybody's like, where? Um, and so that, that was fascinating to me. But then he said, still, looks, style. Uh, were, were part of it as well. Then this person who grew up from India, I'm thinking I'm going to get a completely different answer. Mm-hmm. And he says, social status, wealth, influence, mm-hmm. connections in high places. Like this transcends culture, uh, transcends gender, transcends um, uh, color of skin and all of these things. These are all of the things that we hope to find our identity in that yeah. will fulfill us. That's where we are now. Uh, merely scratches the surface. How did we get here? Because there's got to be more than uh, sort of what's beneath the surface. What, what's really going on? Is this just part of our culture? Is this part of the modern world? Or is there something more at stake here? Uh, we talk about Genesis 3.8. Uh, you have talked about how formational that's been for you in terms of how you understand that particular passage. Tell me more about what you're thinking there. Yeah, I just, I'll read it for you. And I just want you to pay attention to anything. You may have heard it before probably have, but I just want you to imagine what kind of sticks out to you in it. Um, but what has happened is, is there's a perfect world. Adam and Eve live in harmony with God every day. They're given a choice, and they choose their own way and kind of sever that connection. I want you to notice what happens right after that. Verse 6, this is the moment. The woman saw the fruit from the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. It was also desirable for gaining wisdom, so she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Listen. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered him, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And then he said, who told you you were naked? Now, obviously, that word was highlighted three times, but this idea of being naked. You know, I've, I've had dreams about being naked um, in certain situations. I don't know if you have that, and it's terrifying. I, I absolutely hate it. Um, but there was a time where humanity didn't feel that way. In fact, it was the time when there was perfection. And I always think about this moment, like... This moment is when sin enters into the world, when brokenness enters into the world, the pandemic, uh, war, cancer, brokenness, rape, all of the worst things you can possibly imagine come into the world in this moment. They come into the ability to happen. A chapter later, someone, the first murder happens. Like, this all comes into the world. And what do they notice? What happens? What changes inside of them? Whoa, bro, I'm not wearing any clothes. Well, you never were. Like, what is going on? Who told you you were naked? And what has been so formational about this moment is, is, is crucial to understand when we talk about the image of God. We were made to walk with God in the garden. When things were perfect, you were made to be in relationship with Him. 
not to find your true self and then be in relationship with him, but that your true self was found in relationship with him. And so what that absolutely destroys about the bonded set and anything about this is that your identity can only be found in the Father God, mm. which is broken because of sin, but restored with Jesus. So here's, here's what I would say. The natural outcome of this state without Jesus is to trend towards narcissism and self-centeredness because you are not just have a hole inside of you. You are like half of you is gone. Yeah. And so you have to find things to complete it. I'll finish by saying your identity cannot be completed inside you, but must come to some degrees outside of you. And there's only one true source of that, and that's God. Mm-hmm. And that changes the way you look at everything, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I know you've been working, um, going through seminary, working in Hebrew class right now. So, like, that's top of mind for you. Yeah. Um, and you've been finding some fascinating stuff within the Hebrew language as it relates to that phrase image of God, because our mind goes into maybe a number of different ideas about what that means. We maybe don't fully understand, okay, do, you know, do I look like God? Well, if I look like God, how does Nathan look like God? And, you know, can I have his muscles? And is, you know, does that, is that what that's about? (laughs) I'm kidding. That's not not your identity. Do do you want want my hair too? (laughs) (laughs) I've got it here. I'm compensating for what's out there. Anyway, back back to Hebrew, because that's the important spiritual stuff. Yeah. Um, What is it that you saw in that Hebrew phrase, image of God? Because there's more there, right? Yeah. So let me, three things. Uh, Problem, theology, application. Uh, Problem. We in the church, we have done something to that definition. Um, and by that I mean we have, we have made it so much about what you do. Yeah. Mm. That's generally how we talk about it, right? We, we get to church and we say, to be a Christian, you have to do this, do this, do this, do this. To be a child of God, you have to do this, do this. Okay, so that's our problem. Uh, theology. Uh, so we have to look at the Hebrew because uh, the Old Testament was not written in Latin. That is a theological term applied later. So uh, in Hebrew, the fascinating thing about that word image uh, it can also be translated idol, and it actually is used a lot to uh, discuss graven images, which we see all over the Old Testament. So God is also saying, I, I have created you to be my idol, right? What does that mean? Uh, that's not about what you do. An idol is something that represents something else. Mm-hmm. So the more I look at this and the more I study this theologically, I think the theological truth of what is the image of God. It is when we reflect the attributes and character of our creator. Mm-hmm. Okay? So application. Theological application first. Uh, it makes sense of some things. So now we understand why God gets so upset by idolatry because it doesn't logistically make sense. Um, think about the scene when Moses comes down from the mountain, right? He comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and he loses it. Why? Because the people in front of him are worshiping a statue of a cow. And he is so angry and partly because he's like... What are you doing? You're supposed to be an idol. So you're an idol worshiping an idol. You're something that's supposed to represent God and and point others to him through your worship, and you're standing in front of a cow statue. Mm -hmm. So so now we understand why God is upset. Um, Practical application, and forgive me here, I'm trying to to, uh, communicate something that is really just being talked about. Practical application. When we make the image of God about only about what you do, there is some really bad fallout from that. One of those being, when you talk to a person who has disabilities, you can make them feel like because they cannot do the things I can do, they cannot be an image of God. Mm. 
And, and we're just understanding the damage that is bound, and, and theologians are just digging into it. But So what do we do with that? One of the things I'm trying to do to, to avoid presenting the image of God as something you do is talking about it in terms of um, descriptors rather than verbs. Yeah. So I am not the image of God when I create something. Uh, I am in the image of God when I am creative. Mm. So now we're not, we're, what we're doing is we're not telling the artist after he has created a piece, a painting that now, now you are made in the image of God. We are telling someone even who organizes data in a new uh, and creative way that, oh, look, you're being creative in the process of doing this. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. For sure. Yeah, we don't necessarily wait until the result comes about to yes. determine whether or not somebody is yeah. created in the image of God. It's yeah. The, it's the foundation. It's, it's yeah. the beginning. And, and if you, so if you look at Genesis 9, right, uh, God's talking to Noah, and, he, and he's telling Noah, if anyone kills somebody else, kill them because they have dishonored my image. Hmm. What does that teach us? That teaches us that even by rebelling and bucking off every everything God set before us, we could not destroy that image. Yeah, because it's not about what we do. Yeah, I heard a pastor say once, "It it our doing is important. It, it is important, but it is a reflection of our being. It, yes, the doing yeah. has to flow out of who we be. <laughs> and that's who not we be, yeah. that's not grammatically <laughs> correct. But our being is so formational to who yes. we are first and foremost before we do anything. And I mentioned that yeah. um, last week at New Life Sunday that um, that Jesus before he does anything he gets baptized and the Father appears from heaven and says, mm. "In my Son." Uh, I am well pleased yeah. before he's done anything, before he accomplished yes. anything. And I think that's so important. We see that, that theme go all throughout the Old Testament into uh, the New Testament when Jesus encounters the rich young ruler mm-hmm. in Mark mm-hmm. chapter 10, this man who is very much identified with his wealth um, and what he has accomplished. And the, the phrase that he says to Jesus, which is really interesting, he acknowledges that Jesus is an important figure, that Jesus is a, a rabbi. And he goes to Jesus and he says, uh, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit mm. eternal life? What must I do to inherit? He's thinking about achievement and he's thinking in terms of his wealth. He uses a financial term, inheritance. How do I get this done? And here's the thing. This is, a, is, is a, a God-fearing man, I think, as somebody who acknowledges Jesus, who acknowledges this rabbi. And like I said, it's important that we don't just diagnose what's going on out in the world. This is in the church Absolutely. as well. It's in me. And we have projected this onto even our very theology. So, God, what must I do to inherit salvation? What must I do to, to make sure that I get saved? We do this all the time. And I have this in pastoral conversations you guys have as well. People who say, I'm just not doing enough for God. I just feel like God's upset with me because of X, Y, or Z. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.8. I'm hiding. I'm ashamed. Mm. I'm afraid of being seen. And so we we have to find something else to find belonging, acceptance, to to cover uh, the, the losses in a sense. So what's the way forward? How do we yeah. how do we move forward? How do we move yeah. on um, from experiencing that shame and really begin to take on this identity in Jesus? That is crucial to our vision statement to reclaim our identity in Jesus. We want all of that for all of us. But the re- the reason we use this word reclaim is is fascinating. And I think you do a great job of talking about why we use that word reclaim. Now, why not just claim? Yeah, tell us more about that. 
Yeah, it, it goes back to Genesis again, um, this idea that you are completed in, in, in God. God has created completion in you and your relationship with him. And because of brokenness, we don't have that. Mm. And, and it was taken from you. So you're born into the wor- world. God knit you together in his mother. He knew you before creation, knew his image that he wanted you to be, mm-hmm. and he created you. And then you're born into this brokenness, born into this relationship where you've never... Like, here, here's craziness. You, before Jesus, and not even to the fullest yet, but you can have it, have never actually experienced what it means to be you. Hmm. Because you couldn't. <laughs> but now you get to. And that's the point. Yeah. You're reclaiming what was always supposed to be your inheritance, was always supposed to be who you are. You know, how, I mean, many of us are like, are older and we got to the point where we're like, yeah, I can totally acknowledge I've never ever felt right. right? Like, you know, but, but what would it be like to actually function the way you were supposed to? Yeah. And so that's what it means to reclaim it. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. The adversary, Satan, is out there to desecrate and distort. Those two words are powerful. Desecrate means to take something that was holy. What God makes is holy, and God doesn't make junk. But what the world does and what sin does is it desecrates that. It fouls it. And then distort means to twist or warp. And the reality is we have been invited because of Jesus Christ because of what he has done to cover us in it, to be reconnected with him again, to walk in the garden, to be complete, invitation to be complete for the very first time. And uh, it is a beautiful thing. And it connects to your story of the rich young ruler. Because what he says to the rich young ruler is, go and sell everything. And he walks away sad. Why? Because his identity, who he was, his box had to do with his money. So much so, it affected the way he even spoke. Mm-hmm. So when he goes away sad, is because God is saying to him, you have to die to that identity to pick up the identity I have for you. Yeah. And man, that is a difficult thing to understand. Yeah. yeah, clap, clap. It's exciting. It's good. It's so easy for us, especially since most of us are not wealthy. <laughs> Look at the rich young ruler and be like, ah, see, couldn't do it. <laughs> God cursed me with that sin. Uh, <laughs> cursed me with the burden of having way too much money. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like, but when we bring it home, it's much harder for us to do. Yeah. We see, we find our identity in things all the time in our little box. And it, it, it comes up like this. If I bring up hot button topics such as your political affiliation, or abortion, or racial justice, or X, Y, Z. Some people's emotions literally just came up. Why? Because there's some kind of threat there. When I talk about a different view or what the Word of God would say about certain things, it does it for me too. And it creates this intense emotion. Is because there's something that I have put my identity into. And when I'm challenged in that identity, ah, or or I run, right? And why? Because some part of you is being threatened. And we got to shift that and think yeah. that, no, that those emotions are actually, and this is how we get there, the invitation to you getting to a place uh, where I, I'll let you talk about a little bit, um, where, where you are humbled mm. and you say, God, I have these strong emotions. Clearly, I put my identity into something. And you humble yourself before him and the Holy Spirit and you let them begin to speak to you. But that I could go on and on and on right, about that. Right. 
and we walk away sad. <laughs> yeah. We walk away with emotion right. when we're corrected. We don't want to be corrected because we haven't been taught to be corrected. No. We've been taught completely the opposite. Stand up for yourself. Get up by your own bootstraps. You are, you know, own your truth, all those kinds of things. That is the culture that we are living and breathing in. So to resist against that, because it is, and it's an act of resistance, takes incredible humility, but, but something else in the spirit as well, which is yeah. what we, we refer to in the, yep. the final paragraph of the, of the position paper. You talk about the spirit and the importance of the work of the spirit. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it's, so one of the things we talked about when we had this conversation is like, focus on the hope. Focus on where we're going because we can get mired in just, right. oh, well, so I'm, I'm busted. Yeah. I'm a mirror with a hole punched through it. But the, so where do we find hope? Well, that's when we talk about the spirit, right? So scripture talks to us about how following Christ grants us the Holy Spirit. And once we have the Holy Spirit, we are conformed to the image of Christ. But what is the image of Christ? Jesus is God. So it's the image of God. It's the same thing. It's, it, it's a earthly model of what it looks like to be a perfect human made in the image of God, which, which we couldn't do. So we're conformed to that image. We begin to, it becomes our default. So now we go from a mirror with a hole punched into it to a mirror with, with a bunch of duct tape <laughs> over it holding it back together um, because we'll be perfected when Jesus comes back. But, but we begin to function again out of our image. So we begin to default to, to displaying the character and attribute, attributes of God. And that brings so much joy yeah. and peace and hope. Because, because, A, it's again, we've been saying this all day, it's not performance-based. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is not something you can be good or bad at. Mm-hmm. It is just something you receive once you receive Jesus. Yeah. So it's not performance-based. So there's hope in that. But, but also... I think something you just said that has triggered this for me, this idea of like our identity being under threat. So we reclaim that identity in God. Who is being threatened at that point? It's not us. Mm-hmm. It's God. God is being threatened. Well, who is God? <laughs> God is I am. Yeah. He tells Moses his name. He says, my name is I am. And, and I, I do not have time to unpack that, but I will say like that is a, t- a title of I am who I say I am. I will do what I say I will do and nothing else in this world will move God or make him different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now that's what's under threat? That, that's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, God can handle that. So now it moves from our identity being threatened to God being threatened. And when God is threatened, everything's fine. Yeah, Because <laughs> the reality is he, he can't be. Right. It's too big. I think, um, you know, you said it, it's not performance-based. It's not achievement-based. Yeah. But it is a discipline. Yes. Uh, and a spiritual discipline. I use those words intentionally to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've talked mm-hmm. about that a little bit before, about learning this new act of resistance against the culture that says you are who you are because of what you do, right? Or because of what you own. That's not true. So you have to relearn, you have to reshape your understanding of what that means. And, and so that it becomes a practice of a spiritual discipline of aligning yourself with the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit to grow in humility. Um, I've been, I'm always fascinated by uh, neuroscience and how that impacts faith and the work of the brain, they, they studied a group of Catholic nuns who had a regular practice of uh, a regular spiritual discipline of confession and meditation on God, meditation on the Word of God. And they found that they actually had much healthier brains than most average people because they were meditating on the loving mercy kindness of God, this generous mindset of God. And what it did is it shut down the mechanism that made them self, 
self-focused, uh, self-centered, narcissistic, and they were becoming so much more uh, others-focused, others-centered. And, and they found themselves to be so much more generous with their time and their serving. Here's the thing. When we're not so caught up in, well, who am I? And what's my truth? And what do I identify with? And which group do I belong to? When that is literally, physically shut down in our brain and we begin to focus on, I am who you say that I am, it actually turns our brain off to thinking about our own selves and focusing it on others. It's so good. Being others-centered and outwardly focused. And, and that all comes with the presence of the Spirit. And, and spending time in this act of confession that I think, frankly, in the evangelical church, we've given up on some of those sort of sacred times. Uh, I think those in, maybe who came from a Catholic background, a Lutheran background, there was more that, uh, of that intentionality. And maybe that got, went astray a little bit. Uh, maybe you lost the meaning of that a little bit. Uh, but I think that's something that we can reclaim, recapture, is that art of confession, a broken and contrite spirit the psalmist talks about. To realize, like, I don't have it all figured out, and that's okay. And it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to have failed and to know that I'm probably going to continue to fail. Yeah. But to not live into that shame and to stay in that place, but to be in a place of humility to say, there is always more that you have for me, God. That I, uh, the, the work that you began in me will complete it. You mentioned completion. You mentioned perfection. That process is taking place as we speak, yeah. as the Spirit of God moves in and through us. Yeah. Any, any last thoughts before we yeah. close our conversation? I, I think tying it back into a little bit of what I'm talking about earlier, and I mentioned this in the racial justice paper very strongly when we were up here talking, um, the idea that many of us as Christians have not learned the practice of dying to themselves. Mm. Um, and dying to themselves actually feels like what you're doing is dying to my truth, dying to who I am. Um, but what you're actually dying to is the idols you have placed your truth in, mm. the, this, the, the things you have found security in. And so this process of confession is this place where after strong emotions are had or, or there's a realization of, of, of a need to, to repent and turn to God, then when you go into that moment and you actually lay yourself bare before Jesus and say, I am messed up, I need you, that's actually the moment where you reclaim your identity. Yeah, yeah. It's not done up here. It's not. Yes, Yes, this guides it. But when you get to that point, it's where you have broken yourself down. You have acknowledged the emotions. You have acknowledged where you have felt threatened or angry about your identity. And you humble yourself. Mm -hmm. Then the Holy Spirit comes in. And he, he molds yeah. you and transforms you. And he changes you. And in that moment, you become more like him. Yeah. And when you become more like him, the very things you were trying to get as a side benefit of following Jesus, uh, you know, peace and joy and purpose, all the things that we've actually made the point of Jesus. We, we've gone and changed this, this entire culture to a, the idol of the Christian religious uh, uh, idols of comfort and, and all of these things. We've made that the point, yeah. but you'll never find it if as you pursue it. That's why that scripture says, I am with the contrite and the lowly in spirit. Mm -hmm. He changes your identity. And as you reflect who you were always made to be, then you feel the joy and the peace. And then you become useful, yeah. more useful, right. I should say, yeah. right. to the kingdom of God. Yeah. yeah. I had one more thought. Uh, so as we, we've been talking about this idea that uh, our, our concern for justice is rooted in the image of God. 
So one of the things we are called to as followers of Christ is to experience empathy. Yeah. We have an empathetic God. Yeah. We have an empathetic Jesus. We, ha- we have a whole text about how he is so, he stands in front of death, a dead man, and the only thing he can do, and if you look into the language, it, it's, it's, it's very strong. Like It comes up out of him. He can only weep. He can only be empathetic. So how do we get there? How do we go arrive at a point where we are looking around us and we are empathizing, especially when it comes to people who don't come from our background or look like us? Uh, it's, it's by seeing the image of God in them, which happens through the Holy Spirit. But when we look at someone and we no longer see their background, but we see someone who has value and who is precious simply because they were created in the image of God, how can we not weep? How can we not yeah. empathize? So we want to talk about emotions for ourselves, but also emotions that we should feel toward others, primarily being empathy. We get there by understanding this truth. Yeah. And that's why it's the basis of all these papers we've written, because if we get this, then how we treat others will also reflect that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's good. We get to be countercultural. Um, mm. Paul talks about that to the Roman church, where Rome defines everything. <laughs> being in Rome is by nature the definer of your identity in that first century. And yet in that void, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, the Roman world, the empire, the culture, consumerism, greed, power, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test what is pleasing to God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. So we want to start that process today and as we go throughout the rest of this series. So what I want you to do is just to maybe sit up straight with your back if you can, uh, to close your eyes, to put your hands on your laps if you can. And we're just going to take a moment to invite the Spirit, to invite that transformative work that the Spirit does in us, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is not you doing more. That word is be transformed. Allow God to move in you. Allow God to prod some of those areas where you're naturally wanting to rise up with resistance and say, no, I don't don't need correction there. I didn't do any of that. I'm not responsible for that. No, no, no. God, have mercy on me. Form me into the likeness of your son. I want to be his representative. If it helps for you to close your eyes, to not focus on me, to instead focus on what Jesus is, who he was, who he is, and what his likeness means, being formed into his likeness. You were created in the image of God to reflect the attributes of God. What are his attributes? Look at Jesus. Patience, loving, peaceful, joyful. Release any shame that you might feel from the things that you were supposed to be better at, from the amount of money you were supposed to have in your bank account, from the job title you were supposed to have, from the school that you thought you had to get into. It's not who you are. And for those of you who keyed in on that phrase, reclaiming your identity in Jesus, maybe you felt 
you've never had that before. Maybe you have been searching for your identity, your truth. You've been looking for it in all kinds of places, but they've been all temporary things that will not satisfy. There's a lot of good things out there, but they're temporary. Find your significance. Find your identity in the one who is eternal. Father, we lay ourselves bare before you. We are spiritually naked right now, lost, broken. Maybe some of us even feel a little bit hopeless. But this is exactly the place where you come and meet us, the lowly, contrite. You are near to the brokenhearted. And God, we are looking for you, desperate for you to pick up the pieces and to put us back together the way we were always meant to be. God, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Save me, God, today from my false self. Help me to live into my true self. I encourage you to just take a deep breath. The Spirit of God is here. And where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Hey, everyone. It, it was such a joy uh, to give that talk to you, to be able to have that conversation for all of you to hear. I hope that you learned a little bit more about who we are created to be, uh, being made in the image of God. And, and I hope you heard, I hope you heard that you have value. That being created in the image of God means that you have value, you have worth in the eyes of God apart from your actions. Uh, you are his precious creation. So I hope you hear that truth this week um, and that you uh, feel encouraged and empowered and, and beloved by that truth as you go throughout your week. If you need uh, prayer as you're processing that or, or anything else, um, just reach out to us via the Connect card on our Now page or just reach out to us directly and let us know that you need prayer. But I hope this week... Uh, is blessed. I hope that this week you you hear the ways in which God loves you and values you uh, as a precious, precious child in his eyes. Um, and we will talk to you again real soon. So see you next week.